This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We hope that uh, Dr. Troy Bajer, the veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center, will be able to join us today before the hour is through. Uh, but we hear that he is dealing with a pet emergency, so doing his uh, chosen profession. Uh, if uh, he gets here, uh, we'll take some uh, pet questions. If not, we've got plenty to talk about with our guest from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Today, we're welcoming Megan Fedrick, who's the director of Hunter Education. Everyone born after July first, sorry, January first, nineteen seventy-two, <laughs> is required to complete a hunter education course before purchasing a Mississippi hunting license. So today we'll talk about what goes on in that hunter education course and also how education helps keep hunters safe while they enjoy Mississippi's outdoors. You can join our conversation with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring You can call us at one 672 7464 or email the show send it to animals at mpbonline.org always like to remind you that if you miss creature comforts on thursday it repeats every saturday morning at six so good morning hope everyone is doing well this morning good morning good morning uh Libby, do you have some events that you want to tell us about I do let's see and these are all in september okay and uh that First weekend in September, September 6th through 9th, is the well-established big event, Hummingbird Festival in Holly Springs there at the um, Strawberry Plains Nature Center. Okay. And we'll talk more about that. And then I think it is kind of... Had a baby now on the coast. <laughs> uh, the Pascagoula um, Nature Center is going to start a hummingbird festival. And I think you really ought to get in on the first one if you're on the coast. And that's going to be September the 14th. So both of those weekends, hummingbird festivals at the two ends of the state. And then on September the 21st is the clean sweep on the Pearl River, that uh, volunteer cleanup. And they just do an incredible job up and down the Pearl River. And, again, we will talk more about that. And then... after you've done your clean sweep volunteer, you can go to the Science Museum for Science Fest. <laughs> and actually, that's four museums. That's the Children's Museum, the Natural Science Museum, uh, Sports Hall of Fame, and the Ag, Ag Museum. Museum are getting in on it, too. And it's um, math, science, technology, engineering, all kinds of techie kinds of fun things. All right. Um, so we get an email here <clears throat> that has a picture of a raccoon, mm-hmm. and the email says, the picture shows one raccoon that lives in my yard in Ridgeland. The raccoons have looked very sleek and fat all summer, but in the past week or two, they look thin and scraggly. I think the fur has gotten quite thin and the skin is showing through. Uh, is it normal in hot weather, or could they be sick in some way? Uh, they're still lively in eating whatever they find. First of all, is it a good idea to have what I guess you would consider a pet raccoon in no, your no, backyard? No, 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 no. Okay. We'll start there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so in Mississippi, you can't have any native species as pets. Okay. Um, if it were a situation, and but they're they're urbanized, so it's not like. You may have them there whether you want them there or not. Um, When people come across wild animals that need help, we'll send them to a rehabber because we don't keep them as pets in Mississippi. I'm sure people are. They're not supposed to be. Um, 
my best guess on that, and, and Libby and, and Dr. Major can add in, is that a lot of times in late summer, some of your wildlife starts to look pretty scraggly. It's hot. It's it's harder on them. Um, if it's not doing anything strange, I wouldn't think it was disease. But we've had situations back in my days at the museum where raccoons would come up to the back door and there might have been something wrong with them. We want them removed from the property. but That's another reason why it's not a good idea to keep, keep them, them as pets. pets. And Troy just walked in, so we hit him with a question immediately. <laughs> you but, don't want to get rabies shots, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, And there is, I know you've got a long list of diseases oh, yeah, that raccoons there, carry. There, there's a lot, and two of the most important, one would be rabies, of course, and the other would be uh, leptospirosis, which is a disease that can affect uh, humans as well as animals, and it can be quite damaging to the kidneys. Uh, one of the problems with diagnosis of leptospirosis is that sometimes you can't diagnose it immediately, so it's just one of, that could be a problem. And uh, I, I encourage people not to feed uh, raccoons. Of course, we have bird feeders, which make it Pet food. a problem. Uh, <coughs> I've stopped putting bird food out right now simply because I've got a raccoon will clean it out overnight and uh, I'm trying to avoid attracting them but then the deer <laughs> they're <laughs> also there and I, I don't have a real answer for that. I tell her to remove anything she's got outside right now and see if they move on. Also my thought would be if you live in a subdivision a, a, you know a, a part of town where other people are living nearby you you might want to have the raccoon in your backyard and that sort of thing, but your neighbor might not. So, uh, Once again, that's yeah. right. And, and it's, best, it's best not to feed them. Yeah. So try to remove the food source and keep your garbage lids tight, and yeah. maybe he'll find another place to hang out. Also, I would say is pet food and that sort of thing akin maybe to um, raccoon fast food? Is it not very good for them? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, they're pretty much opportunist, I would say, and omnivorous, and I suspect that they will really think that's more uh, fine dining <laughs> than being fast food. Oh, right. Uh, by the way, this week, August 4th through the 10th, is Assistance Dog Week. So it's a chance to recognize all the devoted, hardworking assistance dogs that help individuals mitigate their disabilities. Uh, so we salute those dogs that do that important work. Also, as we talk about uh, stray animals, we've had some encounters here at the Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Recently, we talked about our producer, Java, who rescued a kitten out of the middle of the street. Liz Gill, another producer on staff here, had a new dog that wandered into her yard. And the other day, a dog wandered almost to our station door, visibly hot and tired. So, Dr. Major, what's the best advice you could give someone that sees these stray pets or stray animals kind of roaming their neighborhood, that sort of thing. What, what's the best thing to do? Good question. Uh, there are quite a few people that you can uh, call uh, from the standpoint of rescuing an animal that's uh, obviously a stray wandering the streets. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, you could call your local animal control officer. Uh, they're well-versed and, <clears throat> and should be able to help with, <clears throat> excuse me, with that situation. But there are just a multitude of rescue groups that are very interested in helping with animals that are on the street or have been injured. And uh, as far as what you can do, again, it gets back to the thing of how domesticated is this animal that's roaming the streets. Uh, if it's been injured, there's a good chance that you could be bitten. 
uh, and sometimes severely, so be careful uh, with that. If people are interested in rescuing an animal, let's say that's been injured, I recommend them taking uh, a leash in their car and some towels or blankets. Uh, simply a lot of times you can uh, help pick up an animal that's been injured. But in answer to that question, as hot as it is right now, uh, we need to be very careful with our own animals that we have plenty of water outside and shade source. Uh, certainly if they're outside. But uh, back to the uh, comfort animals or that sort of thing, I suspect that there are a lot of animals that aren't listed as a comfort animal that give us uh, a certain amount of satisfaction and uh, support. We may not advertise that, but uh, it really is a big plus. That's that's well said. So uh, uh, cheers to all of our pets, too, that aren't officially, you know, uh, recognized as that. But uh, as you mentioned, they make our lives that much more uh, meaningful, I guess. Pro- and, and proven, proven to help change your mood and lower your blood pressure. So That's right. That's good. So not necessarily when they're doing something we don't approve of, but, uh, you know, at other times, yes. Also, uh, happy ending, uh, We I think we mentioned, but uh, just to re-mention, the rescued kitten that Java found, we found a home for that. And I believe that uh, Liz Gill, who had the dog wander into her yard, uh, discovered who the owner of that dog was, and I believe it was returned to the owner. So some uh, good outcomes on those yes. two and stories that, there. And that goes without saying, with your pet, uh, we highly recommend a collar with ID, uh, even if it's just your vet's uh, rabies tag, uh, that they can contact the vet, and then by that they can contact the owner. Uh, the other thing is microchip. Uh, I think it's important that you have animals that have the potential, especially of getting out, uh, to have a microchip uh, implanted. All right, uh, let's uh, get a call before our first break. It's our friend Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're Good on morning. the air with us. I'd like to ask your guest a question. Do you have to have a hunting license to hunt feral hogs, or is it just open season on them at any time of the year and any time? Oh. Kill as many as you can. I mean, I right. saw one recently, and I just wondered, are they still proliferating? Oh, yes, ma'am. That is a serious issue we have in Mississippi, and one of our nuisance animals. You do have to have a hunting license unless you are over 65 or under 16 and are exempt. But pretty much it's open season on hogs year-round, day and night. We have really loosened the restrictions on that because we would like to reduce those wild hog populations in Mississippi. Thanks. All right. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for your call, Sue. Uh, let's take our first break of the hour. When we'll return, we'll talk with Director of Hunter Education for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, Megan Fedrick. All hunters have to complete a hunter education course, so we'll dive into what those courses look like and how they help keep hunters safe. Also, Dr. Major is here and ready to take some pet questions. So join our conversation with your phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more, so stay tuned. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today our guest is Megan Fedrick from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, Director of Hunter Education. Join our conversation this morning when you have a question or comment. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 
7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll uh, start to talk to Megan in just a minute, but first, another caller on the line. Uh, Gary is calling in from Holly Springs. Good morning, Gary. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. I've got a, a domestic question here. I live in the Lake neighborhood, and several of the homeowners have canines that they just let run loose despite leash laws and that not being that's against the law. But the local authorities just turn a, a deaf ear to any request to do anything about it. As a private citizen, what can I legally do about these nuisances? Well, that is that is a problem in a lot of areas. Uh, and what can I say other than law is not being enforced? Uh, I would speak to the city attorney if you're in the city, if not the county. Uh, but these laws do need to be enforced for safety of kids, uh, especially, and, and other pets. Uh, I, and I, and I, I do uh, pretty sure that uh, some of these dogs don't even see a vet or have their shots or vaccinations. Right. right. And uh, they run around and having litters, you know, sometimes right. twice a year. Do you live in a city? I live in a, a county lake community, okay. lake center. Okay. I would I would talk. Is there a homeowners association with that? Yeah, but they don't have any teeth. Okay, okay. Uh, short of legal action uh, to enforce the law, I'm not so sure what you could do. Uh, you talk to the owners, they're going to get upset, uh, and you get some bitterness pretty quickly sometime. But all I can mm-hmm. say is that the only thing I can see recourse would be uh, some legal action that you could bring forth. Okay. Okay. Or, Gary, I might right. suggest uh, maybe uh, the Board of Supervisors, when they have the, the, the county meeting, might not help, but I think most of them have like a public uh, input part of the of their meeting, and I would go there and just let them know uh, the situation and and ask them what what can be done about it. I mean, that's, I think that sounds like that's the responsibility of of the local government to help out there. So, and okay. you know, if you can do a face to face with the law enforcement too, that that helps sometimes. If you're not getting a call, don't you know, go in nicely and certainly not aggressive at all. But I, I've I've had experience where that just did a world of difference to actually go to the sheriff's office but, or something like that and find well, somebody to it, talk it, to. It gets to be a political situation in, yeah. in county, and uh, I would suggest that, yes, that's one avenue. Uh, but uh, these things are difficult to enforce. And yeah, I, I don't name names. They're gonna, I have had law enforcement tell me, did you shoot them? Oh, right. no. Gosh, okay. Yes, you've tried that. (laughs) It's, uh, well, good luck to you, and I hope you have some success. All right. Thank you. Y'all have a blessed day. Thanks, Gary, for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today we're going to be visiting with Megan Fedrick from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. She is Director of Hunter Education. Megan, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. If you would, tell us a little bit about your background uh, and your position as Director of Hunter Education. I hate to tell people how many years I've been with the department, <laughs> but um, 20 years last month, which seems unbelievable to me. It's gone by really quickly. Um, and I've been law enforcement with the agency that whole time, but held many different positions. So when I started out, I worked up in the Delta, which is where I'm from, Cahoma County, and worked with our fisheries bureau um, in the field for six or seven years. And then 
decided to transfer over to the Natural Science Museum and did outreach education on the road in the Delta for a couple of years and then worked for him in Jackson and then um, became head of the education department at the museum. And then about three years ago, I moved back into the Law Enforcement Bureau and I'm over Hunter Education now and also work as an officer at our training academy in Holmes County. Okay. Uh, So at the beginning of the show, we mentioned that if anyone born after January 1st, 1972 has to take a Hunter Education course, is that right? That is correct. Okay. So uh, give us an idea of what what these courses are like. What, uh, What do hunters learn about when they take this Hunter Education course? Well, you know, our major um, point that we want to get across to everybody is that we want you to have a great time doing outdoor recreation, but we want you to be safe. And a lot of people can be wary when it comes to anything involving a firearm. But we want to make sure that people have the tools they need before they go out into the woods. Um, In terms of outdoor recreation, hunting incidents are extremely low percentage. I I mean, or in terms of recreation, I think bowling has more incidents per year than (laughs) hunting does. But people do get worried about things. And we have a wonderful course. Actually, all 50 states do. We all communicate with each other and have reciprocal agreements between our hunter ed classes. But these classes have been going on since 1949 in New York and hunting incidents at that time were much more prevalent and they've really at a very low percentage right now because we are teaching hunter safety. Um, it's a longer course and we have several options of how people can take that course. But we want to give you some really great background information on firearm safety, everything from game care, survival skills. Um, it is a multitude of information and it's great for, you keep mentioning 1972, we have people that were grandfathered out of taking it, but I recommend that they take it too. It will not hurt. You don't have to be certified, or if you have a child or a grandchild that are fixed, that need to go through the course, go sit with them. It's a lot of different things in that course, wildlife identification, all kinds of in- interesting information that anyone can benefit from, even if you're not a hunter. And also, I would say, I think that the, a course like this, you are helping to keep yourself safe when you're out hunting, but also... You know, you share the the outdoors with other Mississippians, so it, it keeps other people safe as well. That is true, and I don't like I don't want to use the word. Well, I guess I'll use the word complacent. So people that have hunted their whole lives, you know, you get used to doing one thing after another, and you may forget about something. You're like, oh well, oh I need to think about that the next time I go into the woods, or the next time I step over a fence, I need to unload my firearm, set it down, and pull it through. I hadn't thought about that in a long time because you're used to doing the same thing over and over again. And unfortunately, accidents do happen. And we want to help just keep your mind sharp on things to look out for and to prevent those. But then you're also there with other people from the hunting population in those classes, and you can discuss things. We have um, hunter education classes right now have just been posted on our website. And I want to say we have somewhere in the next couple of months about 225 classes listed right now. So if you can't find one, you're not looking hard enough because they are there. But we do have people that tend to call, you know, early summer, which is our slow season. But once August hits, they start building up, getting ready for the fall hunting season. And um, those classes are there. We have all the conservation officers in the state help teach the classes. Plus, I have 500 volunteer instructors that give their free time because they are passionate about hunting conservation and safety so it's a i mean you may learn something completely off topic in a class because you have people with these great wealths of knowledge that are teaching the classes you know i think you bring up a good point because no matter how well you know something it never really hurts to go back and relearn or be reintroduced to some concepts about 
safety. And then, and as you mentioned, also some other interesting things about being in the outdoors that people uh, might not be aware of, or, or just a good refresher course is always a good idea. Uh, so you mentioned that there are some people that volunteer that are your teachers. If someone is passionate about hunting in the outdoors and wanted to be a volunteer teacher, could is there a way to do that? They can do that. Um, on our website, on the top banner there, you'll see Outreach and Education. And if you click on that, it'll take you to the Hunter Education page. And we have an application online. We fill out to be a Hunter Ed instructor, and we ask you a couple of questions. We'd like to know what you've done in your past and make sure you're not violating fish and wildlife laws and things like that. We check you out a little bit. And what we'll do is um, we'd like to get a group of, I, I prefer 10 or so, and then we'll hold an instructor class. Um, lately, with the, the rise of our shooting sports program, all of our shooting sports coaches are also Hunter Ed instructors. So I've been teaching a lot of classes lately. We'll have one of those shooting sports training days, and we'll bring other folks in that just want to teach Hunter Ed and let them go through the class. So we're, we're having more classes in the last year or so that, than we normally have because of that. So send in your application, and as soon as we get a pile of folks, we'll give you a call and say, we're looking at a class in this area at this state. Can you make it? And we'll get them certified to teach a Hunter Ed course. Um, is there a fee involved in someone taking the Hunter Ed course? So if you come to one of our sit-down classes, they are absolutely free. If you opt out and decide to take an Internet course, those are pay courses. We have four courses on our website, anywhere from $10 to almost $30, depending on the company. And all these companies, so we have an a, um, organization that is our standard, the International Hunter Education Association. It, they set the standards for Hunter Ed throughout the country. And all 50 states are members of that organization. I'm actually on their board right now. And um, so these courses have been approved by IHEA and approved by our agency for use, but they do charge a fee. Once you take that course online, you have one year from the date that you get your certificate to sign up for one of our classes, either one of our three-hour classes, or you sign up for a full-day class, and they'll tell you a particular time to show up to for your three hours. And during that three hours, they'll go over firearm safety, tree stand safety, and give you your test. So there's still a little bit of a classroom portion regardless which route you take. So there is a test at the end, so people should be paying attention. Now, listen here. We're not going to scare people away. We will review very um, thoroughly and make sure that everyone understands concepts. And one question we get a lot is, what if my child has a learning disability? Can they take Hunter education? Absolutely. We will bend over backwards to work with getting a new child outdoors and to make that class work for them. So in that situation, just give us a call at the office, and, and we'll find out what class you're interested in and who the instructor is and, and figure out what we need to do to make that work. So uh, when a hunter uh, passes the course, do they get like a certificate or something that they then show when they go to so get their license? They get a certificate. It has a temporary number on it. They can leave that minute and drive up to Walmart and buy their license. If they're, you know, we have a lot of kids taking it that don't necessarily need a license yet. But if you're over 16 and you need that license, you can leave there and take it. And then in about 10 to 15 days, they'll get a hard plastic card with their hunter ed number on it. Um, and they'll be good to go. It's You take it once in a lifetime and it, you're good. But like I said, a refresher course never hurts anyone. Um, what are the rules if you're hunting on private land? So the only exemptions you have there in terms, I mean, is that you won't have to have a license if the deed is in your name. That does not count for your kids, does not count for your grandkids. Only the person's land, a name who's owned the deed. Okay. And they get exemption from having a license. But the minute they hunt elsewhere... They have to have that license. And again, as you mentioned, it certainly doesn't hurt to be reminded of safety uh, when you're hunting. So with the course, if you attend being free, there doesn't really seem to be any kind of 
impediment to someone, everyone that wants to, you know, to take right, the course. But you have to think about it. And this is something that we're looking into right now as times are changing. Everybody wants everything yesterday. <laughs> um, it's a tech based world. And um, so a lot of classes are going, a lot of states are going to online certification only. And Mississippi is, we're reviewing it. I mean, I think the sit down classes is, is the best education you can get, but people are fast paced these days and they'll, you know, they'll call you at four thirty on a Friday and want to know how they can get it to hunt on Saturday. So things are changing and we kind of have to move with the times. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the gun safety piece of the hunter education course. That is the longest portion of our class. Like I said, it's not to scare anyone, and, and it's not because of the, the accident rate that we have, but that's where we want to be the most thorough. So everything from parts of a shotgun to a rifle all the way through um, sighting in your rifle, and it's a three-hour portion of that class. So not only do you take that in the 10-hour course that sit down, if you do the online Internet course, when you come for your three-hour portion afterwards, they'll go over that again. Um, our regional offices... We have three law enforcement offices, north, central, and south, that teach that three-hour portion every week. So when an officer comes in there, they'll go over gun safety, um, which, like I said, is the biggest portion, but not what's causing most of our incidents. I do want to mention today that tree stand safety is where we're really focusing on trying to reduce incidents. People will climb a tree with anything and fall right out of it and not think anything about it. Um, I've seen pictures of kitchen cabinet handles screwed into trees and that's what people are using to climb a tree to hunt so people are catching on to the firearm safety but we really want them to stop falling out of trees (laughs) Uh, let's uh, touch on that again when we get back from this next break Uh, you're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio visiting today with Megan Fedrick who is uh, the Director of Hunter Education for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife Fisheries and Parks Dr. Major's here as well if you have a pet question so to join our conversation this morning, the number is one mpb ring It's one 672 or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day, Megan Fedrick from the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. She is in charge of hunter education, and that's what we're talking about today. If you have a question for Megan or a pet question for Dr. Major, we've got some open phone lines, so give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Got a couple of calls on the line, but Megan, we wanted to follow up. You had mentioned that uh, hunter or gun safety, an important part of the hunter education course, but really you had mentioned now that you're focusing more on uh, safety in the, uh, in, the, in the deer stand. So if you would tell us a little bit more about that. Well, as uh, on top of coordinating the classes that go on statewide something else that's a part of my duties is tracking the hunting incidents that happen statewide Um, and I would say on a normal year we're anywhere from 12 to 20 incidents it's very low but unfortunately each year we probably have one or two fatalities Um, and we want to keep reducing 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 those numbers but what we're seeing on a rise and what I see when I meet with hunter ed coordinators throughout the southeast or at our annual conferences that are national is that we need to focus on tree stand safety we're looking at the stats we've got actually a um, a professor in virginia that does the stats every year and we look at them and we want to reduce those incidents so 
I think people think, well, I grew up climbing a tree or I grew up hunting and they don't think a lot about it. Um, and they may take a manufacturer's tree stand and, and change out a strap on it or, or or modify something. And once they've done that, it may not be as sturdy as it needs to be. Or they'll build a homemade stand. Um, and I've seen some very rickety stands and photographs from incidents or they'll do, I'll do what turned out to be a great stand at first, but leave it in the woods several years, and it's been rained on and snowed on and heat and everything else, and it's not as stable or things have dry rotted. And they go the next season, to, and a lot of this will happen when they're just moving things around to prepare for hunting season. And the next thing you know, we have someone that's had a 20-foot fall. And unfortunately, they, that may lead to a fatality or paralysis in mm-hmm. many cases. So please just use a full-body harness attach yourself to the stand you can use a lifeline which helps you get in and out of the tree stand Um, a lot of people think well i've been doing this since i was 25 well now you're 55 it's raining outside and there's a slippery ladder you know there's a lot of different factors that go into that so um, your family wants you to have a great hunt but they want you to come home safely too so that's just something that we focus on and want people to really think about um, tree stand safety uh, speaking as someone who is in his 50s, I think you're right. Sometimes us 50-year-olds think we're still 25. That's right. <laughs> yes, so. you could do that when you're 25. <laughs> We've got some phone calls to get to. Let's uh, begin in Greenwood. Bill's on the line. Good morning, Bill. You're on the air with us. Yeah, I got one for Dr. Major. Uh, doctor, uh, had a little black and white skinny. I think it's full grown, but it looks like a little pygmy. It's uh, come up here, and uh, it looks like his back legs are longer than his front leg, and uh, at first I thought it was a raccoon, because uh, when raccoons come here at night, it just goes crazy and uh, plays with them and uh, falls all over them and just acts like it's their friend, and I never saw a cat yeah, like you were a raccoon. <laughs> yeah, I've had lots of cats, but they never were happy to see a raccoon, <laughs> but anyway, um he stays here and plays with them most all the night, and then when they go home, he doesn't follow them. He stays here and sleeps all day. Like I said, he looks like a regular black and white kitty, but he looks like maybe he's shrunk and he doesn't have a tail. So I was wondering, can a raccoon raise a cat? Well, that's that's interesting in the fact that they do play. I, I know a lot of times when raccoons and opossums uh, are in association with cats that they just kind of get along and they don't really have any problems. Dogs, on the other hand, would be an issue. Uh, sounds like this has some possible Manx background uh, with the fact that it has no, no tail uh, or there may have been an injury, but uh, it's a unique story. And uh, I would say that, uh, you know, the cat, for all practical purposes, yes, should be vaccinated. Uh, uh, at least with rabies and your basic uh, feline shots, if you can, if you can pick up the cat. I don't know if you can take it to the vet or not. He uh, wanted to get near to him, and, okay. and uh, at night he'll let me get a little near to him. Okay. If I try to touch him, man, he just zips off. And right. Well, because it's cat food, I put some cat food out. I think the raccoons got it, but he he likes to eat the dry food. Right. Well, well, just be careful. Uh, don't get bitten, and uh, that is an unusual story. Thank you for your call. All right, Bill, good to hear from you. Thanks very much. Let's move on. Next, uh, Sue has called in from Clinton. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air. Good morning. 
I have a puppy question. Um, we have a golden doodle at home, and he's about 15 weeks now. But we noticed that he has, like, a little hump in his back. He looks like a little camel. And I did, like, a small little Google last night, and it said something that they usually, their spines curve up when they're in pain or they've hurt themselves. Is that true? I would say that there's something going on. You wouldn't expect the dog to have a hump hump in its back. Uh, I would say that maybe congenital or maybe pain, as you said. Uh, 15 weeks old? Yes, sir. Okay. I would suggest that a, an x-ray from your veterinarian probably would be the, the wise choice just to see if there is any abnormality with the vertebra in that area. Uh, okay. And uh, I would I would really think that that would be the wise thing to do so you'll know. Okay? Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Sue. i got another call to get to, but uh, speaking of dogs, Megan, um, sometimes hunters have dogs with them when they go out and hunting. Is there any mention of that in the course um i'm sure there'll be some mention depending on what part of the state you're in um i grew up in the delta where say deer hunting with dogs is not very popular but in parts of northeast mississippi and south mississippi that's the only way they hunt deer you know with dog hunters that's not my area of expertise i grew up with duck hunters that do have dogs so when it comes to talking about different types of hunting depending on the instructor you have and what their knowledge is in that background yes that can come up um but it's not a, a huge portion of the class. Okay. Um, we got another call to get to, and so now we're going to say good morning to Sharon from New Albany. Go ahead, Sharon. Uh, yes, good morning. Um, I just was wondering if um, it was possible for a child... Hold on. If it's possible for a child who does not live in the state but could go, like, with their grandfather to a hunter safety course. He lives in Tennessee. We live in Mississippi. We don't have any residency requirements on our, our sit-down classes. Um, okay. We do own our Internet courses, as, as a lot of states do, But um, and Tennessee will accept our hunter education. So okay. how, how old is the child? He just turned 12. And okay. His grandfather, my husband, has taken the older two already. It's just something he likes to do, but they live in Mississippi. And to be honest, we didn't know if we could take this. No, that's that's not. not a problem. Like I said, Tennessee accepts our card. We accept theirs. Um, so that is no big deal. And, and we certify at the age of 10. And even kids that are younger than 10 are welcome to sit in with a parent if they'd like to. We, of course, we attention spans build a little bit more once they've reached about 10. So, Right. Well, and my only other question is, now, my other two, their father went, but this father's not, you know, it's not something he's interested in. But would the parent have to go or come up? husband the grandfather be the sole adult no the grandfather can take them that's fine okay great thank you thank you good thing for a grandfather (laughs) that's wonderful uh megan we have not mentioned how long the the uh the courses the the ones you attend in person are right and i will do that and i want to get to how to to sign up for them as well so it's a 10-hour class it's it's a long day um you know that's how we mandate it but i will say if there's a smaller group taking it it probably won't last that long it's easier to teach a smaller group if you've got 90 or 100 folks in your class. You might have a full day. Um, but So it's a 10-hour class. Um, the Internet course, you take on your own time and, and do a three-hour class or come to three hours of a regular class. And you can do all of this on our website under Outreach and Education. We've got a big green rectangle that says Find a Hunter Ed Class. You do not have to take it in your county. You can take it anywhere in the state that you want to. 
and you're able to you'll make a profile on our web page and then you will go back find the class you're looking for and hit register you don't have to register we prefer it that way the instructor knows how many people are coming and they have every all the materials ready for you but if it's a last minute deal and you walk in we will take you and I would hope 10 hours, maybe a, a break or two thrown in there. Well, we might let you eat lunch. <laughs> and, and we have some wonderful instructors that will set up certain classes where lunch is provided by sponsors at different churches or snacks. And, you know, look through those classes. There's some great ones out there. We had a, a church last year that gave away a free lifetime license oh, wow. to one of the youth. They just wow. drew a name during the course. So if you get a sponsor for a class, then it's a great class to attend. And I guess the the challenge from from your end is you've got a class that could potentially have teenagers and adults. So you've got to try to make it interesting, but something where everybody can understand and get the information. Right. So we can have someone that's 10 all the way up to 65, because when you talk about Older folks coming into our class, they may be bringing a child or some of our folks that like to hunt out west, they need a hunter ed card regardless of our regulations in Mississippi. So we grandfather people in before 1972, but another state may not. So they have to have a hunter ed card. So we get calls about that a lot. So there's a lot of variety in our classes. But the biggest challenge is getting people to our classes. There's so many different things today that people that compete against hunting. You know, people don't do outdoor recreation like they did 20, 25 years ago. All right. Uh, before our next break, we're going to talk to uh, Marsha, who's called in from Vicksburg. You're on the air with us, Marsha. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, we have a dog that likes to take our socks, and then we have to chase him down to get him back. And then he also likes to chew up back issues of magazines. And uh, I'm just wondering, is he bored, um, needing attention? What can we do to to give him uh, give him outlets, acceptable outlets for whatever it is. You know, there's prob- probably both of the things you mentioned, uh, boredom and uh, wanting attention. Uh, a lot of dogs and even cats will take things and hide them uh, for future reference, I guess you would say, either under the bed or in the closet or in their uh, dog bed. Uh, variety will help. I don't know if you're there all during the day, but uh, try to pick everything up if you can, which is difficult to do. Uh, We all live in a real world, and sometimes we leave things lying around. Uh, I always tell people with a new puppy to make sure their expensive purse and shoes are Mm. out of reach simply because they'll go for those first. Uh, Seriously, seriously, they know. They know. But uh, I would suggest maybe doing some uh, reward, you know, do do things uh, with the dog and have some rewards set up, maybe a new toy. Uh, Maybe this will help some. Uh, It seems that dogs have a fetish, and I hate to say it's like this, for underwear and socks. And I can can tell you that we've had a large number. Uh, Usually they're a pretty good-sized dog, but sometimes they'll get a sock and and ingest it, and it won't pass. So we've Mm. had everything from socks to panties uh, (laughs) to... I did, I'd forgotten what a scrunchie was or whatever. Oh, scrunchie. <laughs> scrunchie, scrunchie. And, uh, Hairband, yeah. Yes, we had a dog that ate one of those. A lady had to show me one. I'd forgotten. That's from the 60s, 70s or something like that. Maybe. 80s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 90s. I don't know yeah. when it's from, but they will literally do that, uh, even even rocks. So 
work at it by maybe changing things up a little bit and do some things where you give a reward uh, based on good behavior. Okay. Well, what about toys? Uh, acceptable things for them to chew on and. Right. Uh, there's some there's there's some hard toys that they can basically not destroy. I have a hundred and five pound dog, and uh, my wife got obsessed with getting indestructible toys, and they eventually tear up. But there are some that will certainly uh, occupy time. She still, even though the head is all. Off of the sheep that she has, she still <laughs> likes to grab it and make out like she's killing it. Uh, so, but it's amazing the dog is very tolerant of small dogs and and cats. So, but mm. she knows that toy is what she's supposed to be playing with. So, good luck mm. and uh, just maybe search the internet and see if you can find some toys that might might help with this dog. Okay, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for your call, Marsha. Time for one last break this hour. When we get back, we've got Roger on the line from Florence, and we're also visiting today with Megan Fedrick, the Director of Hunter Education for the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. Back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this final break, so stay tuned. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz. 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the day is Megan Fedrick with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. To join our conversation, you can give us a phone call. Still some time left in the hour at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 Roger's been holding for us, and he's on the air with us now. Good morning, Roger. Well, good morning. Thanks again for what you do all four of you today, and it's just a wonderful program. I just had a suggestion, but it's a little late. For the lady who called in with a bored dog, the dog was bored and was tearing up uh, old magazines, out-of-date magazines, I think that she needs to provide him with current magazines. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Especially the wildlife magazines, and they're so good, and that's another thing that you might mention. Okay. <laughs> we might have some of those available, yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. And, and we'll, I'm sure, say where you can get current uh, information. <laughs> on the, uh, All right. Thanks, Roger. Uh, so, yeah, a reminder, if uh, someone needs some information, Megan, could they go to your website to find out all about Hunter Education? So we have information on our app, and we have information on our website under Education and Outreach. Um, everything there is set out for you. Like I said, we have probably 225 classes scheduled at this time from now through January-ish. Um, so here's what we like to tell folks, especially now, August, when we're waiting to the um, for dove season to open September 1, don't wait until the last day of August to try to find your Hunter Ed card and your number and get your license. If you hear me today, let's do it this week. That way you're prepared and you're not scrambling and calling us in a panic and, you know, and then we can't find you in the system because your last name got misspelled 35 years ago. And so start today looking for it. That way it's one less worry you'll have to, you know, one less thing you'll have to think about before dove season opens. 
Um, if you would, tell us a little bit about the Youth Participation Initiative. So that is a wonderful opportunity that we have. We are given $200,000 each year by the legislature, and my department oversees those grants. And what we do is we encourage outdoor recreation. And it doesn't have to be hunting-related. It can be just a conservation um, activity, whether um, it's learning about monarch butterflies or doing a fishing rodeo or a youth raccoon hunt. Tons of different opportunities available to reach out for that grant money. Um, so this year, we actually are just wrapping up the grants. Um, we closed the application process on May 1 and started awarding the grants in, I think it was about late June, by the time we get a committee together and look at all the applications that come in. And we have 50 applicants that were awarded grants this year. Um, one of the big things right now are um, the schools that are forming shooting sports teams to do sporting clays events with our new Mississippi Scholastic Shooting Sports Program. And we're able to give them some grant money to help them buy clays and equipment that they need. But we have tons of youth hunts and fishing rodeos, stuff on the coast, all the way up to North Mississippi that were awarded, or organizations that were awarded grant money this year to help get that program started and get it rolling throughout the next couple of years. And as you mentioned earlier, with so many different things, technology distractions, other things that young people can get into, it's good to see that we're we're out there encouraging them to get out and enjoy the natural resources of the, so abundant here in Mississippi. Right. So we want to do that. And we've got some um, youth hunts coming up that I do want to mention. I also want to mention, you know, right now we're probably – certifying just over 8,000 hunter ed um, students each year. Used to be 12,000, used to be 14,000, used to be 15,000. And everyone nationwide is seeing those numbers drop because of the different things that we are competing against now. But we really want to push getting outdoors. They've you know, Study after study have shown how important it is to all different aspects of a human to have that outdoor recreation component. And um, Something else that we do and we'd like to continue doing is that we have schools that teach hunter ed and they'll take a class and stretch it out over semester and they'll say teach all the eighth graders hunter ed. So if you're a teacher out there and you're interested in being a hunter ed instructor, we'd like you to fill out an application too. We'd like to get it in more schools. We have quite a few schools that are doing it, but quite a few that we'd love to have join us. Um, I do want to mention that we have some youth hunts that are coming up through our Wildlife Bureau. And if you're interested in um, taking your child on a youth dove hunt. They have four different locations available. Most of those will be around September 1 and September 2, but there's an application online. If you go to the dove program link, it'll let you sign your child up for those hunts. And if you're just wanting to learn to hunt, we're also doing some mentor hunts this year. Um, and there's an application on the same spot under the wildlife and hunting section where they'll teach you how to deer hunt. So if you haven't had that opportunity growing up, we'll help you out with that. All right. Very good. Let's uh, end the hour with a final call, and it's Evelyn in Brookhaven. Good morning, Evelyn. Hi. I wanted to um, just give some quick suggestions to the lady with the dog who's stealing her socks. Okay. Um, uh, she mentioned right at the beginning that they have to chase the dog down to get the socks back, and there is nothing in this world more rewarding to a dog than having people chase him. <laughs> and so I would suggest that they stop doing that. And um, also, uh, you get to just get about any um, basic obedience class, and they will teach you how to teach your dog the drop it command. And it'd be much better if she had a good, strong drop it 
with her dog instead of chasing them. <laughs> All right. Good point. <laughs> okay. All right, Evan. Thanks for your call. Good, uh, Some good ideas there. <clears throat> and uh, as we wrap up, <clears throat> just like to, again, I, I don't own stock in the company, the standard disclaimer when we talk about particular companies on the air, but I w- have to give a shout out to Ikea because I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I'd been to the one in Memphis and bought a cat toy that's a little tunnel uh, that I leave in the hallway. And that that cat my cat has used that more than any other cat toy i have ever purchased so if you ever uh, see one uh, at least i am a a strong uh, uh, endorser of that he loves running up and down it and uh there's a little uh you know thing for him to play with at, at one end but even this morning he he kind of crouches down by the end of the tunnel and if he hears anything he zips right in there so it's been a big uh, a, a lot of fun and like i said kind of amazed that it was a store-bought cat toy that he's actually using so that's going to wrap us up for today creature come is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and our guest, Megan Fedrick, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.